Hello, and welcome to Midweek in the Word podcast, brought to you by Faith Bible in Lincoln, Nebraska. Every week, we strive to become better readers, hearers, and doers of God's Word. Look for us every Wednesday where you stream your podcasts. Here's our host, Faith Bible's Adult Ministries pastor, Brad Myers. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Midweek in the Word. Uh, Thank you for joining us and for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode. We're glad you're along for the ride, and we're glad to have you listening in on this week's episode. Today, we will be picking up where we left off. Last week, we had our 100th episode, enjoyed (laughs) taking a trip down memory lane with Tom. Um, But this week, we're returning to our Bearing Witness series. We're going to be addressing our next Old Testament book, the book of Judges. I hope you're looking forward to the discussion. We are looking forward to the discussion. Um, and the we here uh, would be Tom Rempel, Faith Bible Church's senior pastor, back in the recording studio this week with us to talk about what uh, I know is a book you've taught on a number of occasions, Tom. Um, I know it's one of your favorite books to teach as well, yep. uh, the book of Judges. Welcome. Yep. Thanks. Good to be thinking through it with you. We're looking forward to this, but uh, listeners, let me just remind you real briefly before we dive into Judges, which is going to be appropriate and related to our study in Hebrews. This last Sunday, Tom was in chapter 10 of Hebrews, priming us for the hall of faith in chapter Mm -hmm. 11, talking about why the author of Hebrews is setting up this hall of faith that a lot of us are familiar with. Um, If you missed that message, let me just remind you, you can find that on Faith Bible Church's website. That's faithbiblelincoln.org, or you can search for our podcast on Sermons Feed. Just search for Faith Bible Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, and wherever you get your podcasts, and you can catch up on any of those messages you may have missed. Uh, We'd love to have you catch up on that series if you weren't with us this last week or if you've missed any of the past sermons on the the book of Hebrews. All right, here we go. The book of Judges, Tom. We're going to dive into this book. We've gotten through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. We now recognize the people are in the promised land. We've reached that point in the story. Um, but where does Judges pick up? Where, where, what is the occasion and situation of this book? Yeah, as you said, it, it is one of my more favorite uh, teaching books in, in the Old Testament, uh, primarily because it, it, it hinges right out of the book of Joshua. So over about a 25-year period, Joshua leads them into the land. They settle the land. There's, there's some peace, even though there's still enemies within the land. God's mm-hmm. given them victory there. And then... Judges opens with the record of Joshua's death at age 110. And then, so Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that 60 years old or older when they moved into the land. So here we now are at 110. There's another generation that were leaders when they went in. They now die. And Judges opens with a new generation who did not know the things the Lord had done or the ways of the Lord. Mm. And so it, that, that's the beginning of the book, and then it, it kind of sets it up as a spiral down. So it basically covers, we say, 300 to 400 years of historic movement in the nation of Israel after first settling into the land that had been promised all those years ago to uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Mm. So we find ourselves kind of in this repeated cycle. You know, obviously we recognize the, the first generation comes out in the Exodus, comes out of Egypt in the Exodus ultimately proves themselves that they're not ready to go into the land. So God, God lets this, this generation wander around in the wilderness and, and die off, saying we're going to prepare another generation. They count that second generation in numbers, yep. <laughs> right? Yep. Uh, they go in, everything looks great, yeah. right? Because, and the, but then you talked so well about last week when we were talking from the book of Joshua that they're supposed to carry this tradition on. They yep. saw what happened to their parents' generation. They knew it was their task then to carry this message on to their kids. Yep. And you're telling me the whole book starts with basically they failed to do that. 
Yeah, there's uh, the, the layout of the book uh, is is a cycle, uh, re- a regrettable cycle that looks uh, way too much <laughs> like uh, historic Christianity all mm. the way down. But it, it it they're they're experiencing rest. During the rest, then they move into a season of rebellion, which <coughs> is then followed by God's retribution. <laughs> he brings discipline. Which then leads to people over a period of time, sometimes short period, only eight years, maybe under oppression, sometimes 20 years, and then they cry out to the Lord. So there's a season of regret followed by a season of repentance, which then God blesses with a season of rest. And so the cycle that goes from from uh, sin to servitude to sorrow to supplication to silence in, in the, where we get the title judges is that for each of those deliverances, God raises up an individual who will serve him as a, usually a, a military commander, but as a person that gives the people the courage to fight back mm. and God sees fit to bless it. But again, it's just that cycle downward. They just can never break the sin patterns. Yeah, ex- explain that downward aspect. Because, I mean, I love what you're saying. Like, the book of Judges is really a, a bunch of miniature stories, yeah. these localized judges that God raises up to, to to defend his people after his people have rebelled against yeah. and then are crying out to him for help because of exactly what they did. So they raise up these judges, they address the issue, and then we get another story pretty much just like it. Yeah. You know, So how does that theme result in a downward spiral over the course of the book? Well, you know, first thing is that probably the reason we all like to preach from it is because all of the stories are intriguing and they stand alone. They really are. But yeah. they all they are all connected to the other. And uh, so to, to read the book, I, I, would, I would say for many years I would preach it almost as though it was written in a historical chronological format. Mm. But a number of years ago, I don't know what I don't know who it was that brought the alertness, but suddenly realized that the spiral downward. It seems to have to do, you can see it, in how women are treated Mm. in the book. And so at the beginning, you've got Deborah, who is sought out for her her wisdom in the word at at a palm tree, and and, uh, Barack, who makes it into the Hall of Fame honorable mention list, and Deborah, who doesn't, but at the same time, he hides behind her skirts, but she is honored and revered. But then as you read the book, you realize that women are mistreated and abused mm-hmm. until you get to the very end, and it's just horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, how it, So I, I think that there's that downward spiral, just like they become less and less sensitive to things that are right and wrong, and they become more and more uh, blatant and brazen about expressing their sin. So the early sin is, not that it's not bad, but the early sins is Basically, they didn't listen to Joshua, and they chose to serve the gods of the land Mm. rather than true and living God. With that always comes a degeneration of morality and all of that. And by the end, the expression of their sin has gone way beyond bowing to a false god. Mm. Well, I I think it's... I love that you're highlighting that the the moral reality expressed in the way they treat women. That really, you get those multiple stories until you get to the last few chapters of the book, and it... These are not stories that get included in children's books. Yeah, because these last few <laughs> I stories think are brutal. Left those out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it is. It is. It is really, really bad. And I, I think it's also mirrored by a a fracturing and a falling apart of the the nation as it is of totally. Israel too. Totally. The first few judges, you see, 
okay, there's there's an issue. The 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 clans, the tribes, all come together and they yep. pretty much address the issue until uh, at the end they're literally killing each other yep. off. They're yep. so they're yep. so disunified and so splintered. Eleven turn you know? against one. Yeah, yeah. Their, their national identity that we saw set yep. up in the Pentateuch has splintered. Their moral identity that we saw set up in the Pentateuch yep. has splintered. And they're worshiping whoever, and they're kind of just a mess. They're all yeah. over the place by the time we find ourselves reaching to the end of this book, so much so that they're running from the people of the land. And we see tribes in the wrong yep. place. They're not yep. in their allotment, and they're, they're all, <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, when you, um, in Joshua, the concern was the division that the river Jordan would create, two and a half tribes on the other yeah. side, to make sure you don't, you know, they... They build a worship place only because they wanted them to know we're, we're part of you, but we're not going to cross the river to go yeah. to Shiloh. And then by the time you get to the end here, the division, there's no mention about a geographic division. As yeah. you said, they're scattered all over the place, but they are totally devoid of any sense of identity or unity. Yeah. yeah. And I, the other thing that just strikes me about this book as I've read through it is is the, the lack of any mention of the, the tabernacle. There, there, there seems to be the only real mention we get of any sort of worship, or, or, or it should be of God, is a Levite toward the end of the book, and he's so corrupt yeah. that there's no, there's no semblance of well, worship it, of God it's anymore. Preacher for hire, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, yeah he, exactly. He went, he went to the high bidder and created his own little thing, and then these other guys come along and said, "Just shut up and go with us, and you can be our priest." And mm. he goes, "Okay, that sounds like a good deal." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so the people have come in at the beginning of the book, and they're set up for success. They've yeah. got every opportunity. The land is theirs. God has pushed um, the other peoples out of the land. They've had a generation that's been pretty faithful to God and their parents. They take over, and things just begin to go from bad to worse. And the whole book repeats this drumbeat, this cycle of where things get worse and worse and worse and worse, where the people rebel against God, and then God has to judge them, and then he raises up a deliverer, and then there's a rest period, and then it's bad again, yeah. and then constantly going through that cycle. So then as we, as we move through that, as we hit story after story after story, our minds would tend to think this is going to be repetitive. We've already heard this message. We understand what's going on. So how should we set out to read the book of Judges as we move through it? Well, you have to, as you said, you have to look for the common threads, and there are a number of statements that are made repeatedly as you go through it. You'll notice that there are periodic appearances of the angel of the Lord in this period of time, so heaven is not totally silent and and totally uh, disengaged from it. But uh, I think the the pattern is... uh, that the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. When you see yeah. that, you go through and mark it, and that'll give you the consistent thread through. And then you're going to read a phrase that says, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then you'll read a phrase, and the Lord said to the people, so God is willing to respond when they cry out to him. And then the next thing, he'll identify a deliverer. The interesting thing is that there is no there is no natural golden champion uh, judge or deliverer. They're, they're always, they're, God's always calling the most unexpected, you know. You, mm-hmm. you, you've got a Gideon. The least qualified for the a, most part. A Gideon yeah. hiding yeah. in a wine press, you know, <laughs> yeah. a chicken in a hot tub, you know, grinding away to eat. You know, yeah. Old valiant warrior is like scared out of his skin. Yeah. And he, that seems to be the pattern. But again, it, they are always victories. The other thing you look for is it, there's not one of the victories recorded here, I think, that any individual could say, we did that in our own strength. Mm, it's yeah. always a miraculous one. I think yeah. the other pattern you look for is, is that because they were not obedient 
in Joshua and eliminating the the inhabitants of the land. Mm, God yeah. strengthens them periodically to use them as the whipping post for his own children. So they, they live with the consequences of their mm. ancestors' decision to only halfway obey God. Again, that's another pattern. So you kind of watch it as you're reading. You're just looking for all those repeated themes and all mm. and ask yourself the question, so where in the world is this thing going? Yeah, and I, I mean, speaking of repeated themes, we would be remiss to move through the book of Judges without addressing the theme of, and there was no king in Israel, yeah. and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah. You know, you talk about different deliverers being raised up at different times, but there's no one guy to look to, yeah. and the book seems very self-aware of that when it says, there's no king in Israel, yeah. everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Talk a little bit about that theme and that thread as it moves through Judges. Well, the interesting thing about that theme is that when, when I think of Judges, that's the, that's the first line that comes to my mind. But he doesn't really introduce it until you're all the way into the 17th chapter. <laughs> right. So you, you're saying, what, what's the problem here? You know, why, why, why can't they get it together? And the reality is, is that there was no singular leader. There was nobody setting the pace as they were carrying the banner. But then you realize that there, there is no king in Israel also because it, it's casting a shadow forward. Mm. So what is the solution for the chaos and for the, the mess morally of the children of Israel, hmm, it seems like there must be a need for a king, mm. you know? And yet, again, a little spoiler alert, but when you get into Samuel, that's what they decide. They tried that other right, thing. It didn't right. work, and then they, so they have last judge, first prophet. We'll talk about that another time. <laughs> but then this is like, and they say, well, get us a king like the other people have, and Samuel's like, Hey, wait a minute. And God goes, no, they didn't reject you. They rejected me. Mm. So there is no king in Israel, but the reality is there is a king over Israel. They're just not yeah. recognizing him. Yeah. So he's there. So it's the hiddenness of the king of Israel. And that, I think, just gets really, really clear as you get to the end of the book. Hence the chaos of everyone doing yeah. what's right in their own, <laughs> in their own eyes, uh, which we see quite vividly in the book of Judges. Okay, so all this being said, these themes that run through this downward spiral, this hinge, uh, in some ways I love that you mentioned that because it is kind of like Joshua and Judges are these two parts to the same yep. story that yep. are hinged uh, by a connection at the beginning of Judges at the end of Joshua. Um, but we've talked about the message of Joshua and what that was saying to us. What about the message of Judges then as this flip side of the coin? What is it trying to say to us? Well, I, I think it is the, the statement that in order for the people to be pleasing to the Lord, they need to recognize that there is a ruler, there is a, a sovereign one who is commander over all, and that if, if we continue to live without submission to that, that we become vulnerable to the pressures of the culture around us. I, when I read Judges, uh, I think often of uh, Romans 12, yeah. you know, uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So it's a, basically, you see what happens when you don't yield to the sovereignty of the living king, that the world then becomes the controlling influence. And so you see that in the book of Judges. So mm. I think that's the, the message is, is that we need a king, but it's not an earthly king. Mm. So yeah. they're going to experiment with that for a number of generations and find out, man, we're still lacking that king that can bring us that kind of peace. Mm. Yeah, God, God as the sovereign king, the only one that can yeah. rightly order 
nations, the only one that can rightly order morality, the only one that can rightly order worship. When we get that mixed up, which is really the story of Genesis and Adam all over, right? All over. We're supposed to be under God, over creation. We get that flipped around and we start messing everything up. I love that you mentioned Romans 12, which is really the corrective for Romans 1, 2, and 3, which is so much reminiscent of Judges. You know, written a thousand plus years later, Romans 1, the the description of man's depravity and rebellion against God is really seen, it's, it's explained in letter form in Romans, it's shown in yep. narrative form in the book of Judges. Yeah, everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. And, 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 and quite honestly, we're, we're feeling that pressure now yeah. in our own city, in our yeah. own culture. And that is that I, I just want your approval. I've decided I'm going to be like this. Seems right to me. Yeah. So we come up with all kinds of human explanations and rationale without ever bowing the knee before the God who created mm. man and woman and all that. So, yeah, you just see that theme. What is right in your own eyes? And the Romans 1, again, is illustrated here in that one individual went off the rails, but they weren't satisfied just to be rebellious by themselves. They always took others with them. And so yeah. what you see is a whole tribe yeah. swings into that. So, uh, you know, like I said, in Gideon, you know, destroy your father's idols. And when he does, all the neighbors get mad. So yeah. it's not just one man yeah. living idolatrously, but the whole community was influenced. And that's that Romans 1, 18. They not only know that these things deserve judgment and death, but they encourage others to do them also. Mm. Very true. Okay, so if this is the primary message, if it's really about God as the sovereign over Israel, God as yeah. the sovereign over everything, correctly aligning the rest of society and morality... Um, you've already hinted to it just a little bit. We can't, we can't skip over this lack of a king that we see, this lack of the right judge, the righteous judge. Um, where do we see Christ testified about? Because this seems hard in a book that's this dark. Yeah, it is dark. But I, I think, again, we see it from the perspective of when God's people cry out to him. When, when first of all, they, they, they come to the awareness that our sin is separating us from God. And uh, so this this difficulty that's come, like I said, sometimes it's six years, sometimes eight, sometimes 20. Yeah. But ultimately, he, he brings the pressure on them long enough that they recognize that they have rebelled against God and they regret what they have done and they cry out to him for mercy and deliverance and he sends a deliverer. So mm-hmm. I think that we see in that that mankind, when he is overwhelmed by, the, by his own feeble inability to correct himself or to rescue himself, cries out to God, and God always sends a deliverer. But we know the ultimate deliverer is found in the person of Jesus. Mm. So I I think that's the first one. And then I think the the second principle is that he starts reminding us that we need a king. Mm. So he gave them the king, that is, God met on the holy mountain with Moses. He he gave them the laws for the people and the laws for the land. He wanted to be the king working through human representatives. They were unwilling to recognize that. And then when Jesus comes, for a moment, even the nation of Israel cried out, you know, on uh, the triumphal entry, hey, here's our king. Yeah. And yeah. then they went, well, that's not the kind of king we want. They push him away. <laughs> so here yeah. we are. So I think, again, it's just a portrait of the hope that comes in a deliverer king. Mm. Yeah. The one who would finally deliver his people Ultimate. once and for all, as opposed to the cycle that always starts back over yeah. in the book of Judges as yeah. the people rebel. Okay, you already have hinted it just a little bit. Again, we would be um, missing the point of Judges if we didn't apply this to ourselves, if we didn't realize that we're just like the people of Israel in the book of Judges. What does God want us to do, understand, believe, or desire from this book? 
Well, I, I think first I I put the I put the spiral diagram in in my Bible just to remind mm. me that sin always leads to more sin, yeah. and more sin always leads to God's intervention. But in at the moment when I come to the end of myself and I acknowledge how far I have fallen and how wayward I've come, if I cry out to him, he is merciful and gracious. Mm. He'll forgive those sins and he'll bring us back. So I think the first lesson is to understand how, how vulnerable we are to, to the temptations of the flesh and how easily we fall into that. But again, on the other side, to honor the Lord and celebrate the fact that he is most gracious and he is, is, he is a deliverer. And uh, he is willing to forgive, and he's often willing to lift the consequences of our acts of rebellion. Mm. So it's a, it's a grace book, really. You know, God just shows up and shows his unbelievable, immeasurable grace time and again. Yeah. Again, we're going to say this multiple times over the course of Israel's history. We're going to talk about it when we get into this, you know, Samuel and Joshua or, and, and Kings and Chronicles. Yeah that it, it is miraculous, and nothing short of miraculous, that God does not just yeah. wipe his people off the face of the earth yeah. at this moment. Uh, again, when, when you read the book of Judges, you cannot, you cannot read clear through, especially these last few chapters, without squirming in your seat a little bit. Yep. It is so uncomfortable, the <laughs> level of depravity yeah. of his people, and ironically, so similar to the people they pushed out. You know, we think, again, people tend to think and talk about kind of the, the, the genocide is the way people yeah. refer to of God bringing in a people, the Israelites, to yeah. judge the Canaanites and to wipe these people. How could God do that? Well, we had a misunderstanding about how depraved yeah. those cultures were. But the irony of the whole situation is then just a few hundred years later, That's God's right. people are acting just like the people that exactly. God pressed out of the land before them. Yep. And they missed that whole point. But I do love the point of God's forgiveness. You know, God come back, that repentance yep. cycle, that reminder for us that, that God desires us to come back to Him. If we confess our sins, He is faithful just to forgive Amen. us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, well, that's kind of it for the book of Judges. It's obviously a <laughs> fairly, I, wouldn't, I won't say straightforward, but a fairly short book meant to be read in light of the Old Testament law and the Pentateuch and things like that that we've talked about. Uh, listeners, remember, it's this hinge coming from Joshua that we, we see ourselves historically flowing right from Joshua into the book of Judges, and we see this cycle of failure on the part of God's people where they have rest in the land, they get comfy, they get comfortable, they get where they think they're okay, they start to rebel. Um, God judges them, they regret it, and they repent, and God raises up a deliverer. Keep looking for that cycle. A lot of these stories you're probably familiar with, but that cycle is really the drumbeat that's meant to drive the message home. Uh, we're supposed to read it looking for some of these themes as far as no king and the people doing evil and crying out and God responding with a deliverer. Um, I love the primary message of this book, just that reminder that, that God is the right ruler and sovereign Amen. over all of earth, over all of society, over all of morality, over all of worship. And we only rightly orient our lives when they're first and foremost hmm. under God's sovereignty. Uh, the wisdom literature, you think of Proverbs yeah. and things like yeah. that, and that reminder that yeah. this is where wisdom starts. This is where right living starts. And then we see Christ as the true deliverer, the one where all of these other people that we could name, you know, Ehud and Gideon and Samson, all the, all the deliverers, all the judges that we're familiar with from this book were all ultimately just very small flickers of the reality of Christ coming to once and for all address the sin and issues in our hearts. Any, any final thoughts or comments on this book for our listeners as they read it for themselves? Well, uh, two, I would say, is one, uh, don't, don't miss the spiral illustration of how women are treated. Mm. Uh, they are co-image bearers of God, and 
righteous, godly people, treat them with dignity, respect, and protection. And they were vulnerable and unprotected and abused and misused here. So again, we need to read it. But I think the other one is that the cycle spiraled down began when a generation did not hand the truth to the generation to follow. Mm. And uh, the importance, and they didn't have a Bible, you know, the family Bible didn't get handed down to the children. I mean, it was an, it was an oral truth that they were hearing, but they didn't tell their children what God had done yeah. and who he was so that by the time you get, especially I keep going to Gideon, by the time you get to Gideon, it's the son, the child, who has to reprove the father. Yeah. So I yeah. think it's a reminder that we, we have a responsibility to hand this truth and who God is and what God has done to our children. The, mm. the stones of reminder in Joshua yeah. had not been revisited in Judges, and we fail when we don't tell our children who their God is. Mm. Yeah, that... All this history, all of this yeah. faithfulness of God, uh, which is uh, precisely where we're going to go on Sunday. Ironically, it seems an appropriate segment, yeah. right, as we transition into <laughs> Hebrews 11, as we yeah. talk about the hall of faith, this reminder of God's faithfulness to these imperfect, fallen yeah. people. Um, and yet, what were they faithful in? They were faithful in that they trusted God, yeah. right? And yeah. God did amazing things. And, yeah. and we share that story in the book of Hebrews yeah. with our kids, with ourselves, to remind ourselves of what we need to know. That's precisely what they didn't do <laughs> well exactly in the it. book of Judges. Um, but this coming Sunday, listeners, if you're unfamiliar with this term, the Hall of Faith, this idea from Hebrews 11, we would really encourage you to join us at our 9 o'clock or 10.30 services. Tom's going to be jumping in to the chapter 11, chapter 11 of Hebrews in this long list, 40 verses, I believe. Oh, 40 a verses. A lot to bite yeah. off. How many names are in the I book think there's in the chapter? I think there's 15 different booths we have to stand <laughs> by briefly and read the little plaque underneath about this great Hall of Faith. I there think there's go. 15 stops. So come prepared to move quickly as we'll be moving through the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Unless we can this... convince Troy to only do one song. I mean, that's always a possibility. <laughs> we will work on that, we assure you. Um, but it should be a good ride. It should be a good reminder of some of these yeah. individuals that we've talked about over the last few weeks on the podcast as well. We'd love to have you join us for that service, either at 9 o'clock or 1030 for that message. And thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Hopefully our discussion on the book of Judges has been helpful to you. If it has been, remember you can share it, rate it, or comment on it to help other people find it. And I hope you join us again next week for Ruth on Midweek in the Word. Thanks for taking time to join us for Midweek in the Word. To hear previous podcast episodes, be sure to follow, like, and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about Faith Bible Church, please visit our website at www.faithbiblelincoln.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Faith Bible Lincoln or tweet us at FBC Lincoln. And now we leave you with these encouraging words from Hebrews 12. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith.